Good afternoon and welcome. It's good to see you here on a, on a cooler afternoon with the rain clouds out. And I know you'll be blessed as we get into this program. We, we've had some technical difficulties this afternoon with our machinery and our equipment and we're praying that it'll stay together. I'm wondering, Brendan, is there, is there a reason we haven't, just before we get started, we'll just make sure we've got everything right. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. Well, it is good to see you here this afternoon. This is, you know, in 16 years that I've been presenting topics like this, this one is perhaps one of the most sensitive. And, and I guess there's a, a number of reasons for that. Life after death. Perhaps it's because different people from all sorts of different cultures and persuasions and religions, they all have their own ideas on what happens to a person after they die. And I understand that. And I also recognise that for some of you this afternoon, this will challenge you. Now, there's nothing wrong with being challenged. But you'll remember right at the beginning of this program, I did say to you that our textbook is the Bible. And what I would encourage you to do, because I'm going to share something with you this afternoon that is not really believed by a whole lot of people in our world. I'm going to share with you this afternoon what the Bible has to say about human beings and what happens to them after they die. Now, if you're sitting in this church as a Seventh-day Adventist, this won't challenge you too much. But if you come here from the community and how glad we are to have you, and this will challenge you. And I don't make an apology for that, but as it challenges you, check it by what the Word, the Bible says, and you'll be safe. I wonder, has everybody got their hand out? Can you, you hold your hand out for, up for me so I can see? Wonderful. If you haven't got a handout, they're being given out at the front door. Those of you who have not got a Bible and would like a free Bible, this is with absolutely no conditions, then you just need to fill in that little form at the bottom of that handout, tear it off, and our ushers, can I see our ushers up the back, please? Could you come in for a moment just so the people can see you? They're coming. Those of you who are welcoming, you can all turn around as they open. There they are there. You give that, hold your hand up, ushers. Those two young people back there, you give your little handout that you've torn off to them at the conclusion of the program. And next week, we'll have a brand new Bible for you, which is free of charge. You don't have to come to so many meetings to get it. All you've got to do is be there next week and we'll give it to you. Free Bible for you to check and to test what we're saying. Okay, let, let's bow our heads. I know I've already prayed, but I always like to pray before I present these programs. Lord Jesus, on this afternoon where you've chosen to send the rain, we come before you to study this important topic. I know, God, that this does challenge people. And because of that, I would pray that your Holy Spirit will come into this church, into this room. And I pray, God, that the people, as they listen, will be convicted not so much on what I say, but on what is the truth, on this very important subject of life after death. Thank you for hearing us, Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. 
And by the way, if you have any questions, you need to feel free to come and talk to me. Very open sort of a person. And I'll be very happy to discuss with you any questions you may have on the subjects as they unfold over the next six weeks. Life after death. I don't know what it is. Well, I guess I do. But there's something about death that horrifies us all. And I'm sure as you watched your television screens this week, as you turned on the news, that you, like me, was horrified at that plane that went down between Cyprus and Turkey, killing all 121 people on board. And of course, it was brought all the more home to us as we realised and recognised through our news media that there were Australians on board that plane. And as you look at the scorched earth where that plane landed, and you look at the tail fins as, they, as, as upside down they lie on the ground, there is a horror of death. There's a horror of what happens that impacts and affects any normal human being. I don't think it's normal for human beings to like death. In fact, this afternoon, as you sit here, if you've got a desire for death, then I want to challenge you that there's something wrong with you. Because there's inbuilt, created in every single human being, a deep desire for, for life. And yet here we are in this world that is so full of death. And the sobering thing for each of us here this afternoon as we sit in this church is there's not one single one of us that who won't all too soon, even you young people, who won't all too soon face death. And it's sobering. I've buried many people over the years being a, a church pastor. I've buried them in this church. I've seen the coffins up the front here and I've often thought to myself, maybe gruesomely, but I've often thought to myself that one day, Lloyd, it will be you in that coffin. We pray to the Lord that there's someone in the church to say goodbye and it'll be you they wheel out and take down to the cemetery. And it's not just Lloyd Grolleman who faces death. Every single one of you do too. If you're a human being and you're born on the planet, you face death. It may not be in an aeroplane accident, but you face death. You can't escape it. And so it's something that at some time or another in our experience as human beings, we need to look at, come to grips with and find some comfort in the conclusions we come to. And I pray to God that you will find that this afternoon. You know, as human beings, we find many ways to die. And they're not all natural. Car accidents. And I'm sure many of you, in fact, almost all of you have got somebody you love who has died in a car accident. One of my earliest experiences with death was with a young girl who was one of my best friends, 19 years of age. She had just beaten, I believe, through the power of God, cancer. And she was having a party that Saturday night and on Thursday they ring me up and they said she's being killed in a car accident. There are many other ways we, we face death. War. You know, how God's heart must weep when he sees the injustices and the cruelty and the pain and the death of the innocent in war. 
A terrible thing. And yet today, as we sit here in this church, there aren't hundreds, there are thousands and thousands of people all around the world dying because of war. And then, of course, we have starvation. I don't know whether you realise, but did you know that 20,000 people die each day in our world because they don't have enough food to eat? What a tragedy. 20,000 human beings. How many 747 jumbo jets is that? Dying because they haven't got enough food to put in their tummies to keep them energised to live. Of course, there are other ways that we die. Natural disasters. And more and more we're seeing in the world natural disasters sweeping round our planet. Not killing hundreds or thousands, but millions As a human race, we are confronted, and I know it's gruesome and I know it's dark, but it's the truth. We are confronted by death every day. Sometimes it's sickness. And in my time as a pastor, I've buried many people who have died before their time because of sickness. I've just had the flu in the last couple of weeks. And I've got to acknowledge to you that I thought perhaps I might be going to die before my time. Of course, it wasn't that serious, but that's how I felt. And yet there are many people, I'm sure most of you have got friends, who right now are facing death because of sickness. And it's a sobering thing. And of course, for all of us, if one or the other of these things don't get get us, then what old age finally will grab us, get us, and take us down to the grave? And for those of you who attend this church, you know that My grandmother, who was almost 101 years old. Isn't that a fantastic age? She died just late last year. And it still hurt. It was still painful. And I want to tell you, my grandmother, at almost 101 years of age, did not want to die. Because you see, as the Bible says, if you're normal, death is the ultimate human enemy. You better believe it. And most people, most normal people out there in Australia, in America, right around the world, normal people fear death. And so you would expect God through the Bible, a God who loves human beings, a God who empathises, who sympathises, who feels towards us as we face this enemy. You would expect God, I would expect God in the Bible to have something to say about death. And praise God, he does. But before we get into what the Bible says about death, I just want to share something right at the beginning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, and this is important when you go into a, a darker subject like death is. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So right as we start this program this afternoon, I want you to know that God has promised through the Bible that death will be destroyed. It is not something you will always have to face. It is not something that you will always have to fear. The Bible says eventually death will be destroyed. And I want you to keep that in your mind this afternoon as we go through this Bible study. Well, how death came to our world and how Jesus is going to destroy it is a topic we'll be looking at today. And although it's a dark one, I present this to you with great joy and great hope 
and great peace in my own heart. How did death come to the planet? Well, long, long ago, long, long ago, before the creation of this world, there was a great war between two supernatural, powerful beings. Now, I know for some of you, you've never confronted this before. But the Bible says, and we're going to look at it at a moment, that this is fact. There were two supernatural, powerful beings, and there was a war, and I want to tell you this morning, this afternoon, that because of that war, we as human beings face death. On one side of the war was an angel. He was a rebellious angel, and his name was Lucifer. Some of you would better know him as the devil or Satan. Now, the world has, I believe, some distorted views of what Lucifer, of who Satan, of who this devil is. Lucifer is often portrayed, and you've seen it, and you can see it on the screen. In movies, literature, ancient and modern culture, as a two-horned, ugly and frightening demon. This is not the truth, as the Bible states. This is not how it is. In fact, I want to tell you that the Bible says about Lucifer right back in the beginning. It says, you, Lucifer, look at, look at the text. Ezekiel 28, 14 and 15. Go home. Check these texts out for yourself. See what the Bible says for yourself. This is the truth according to the Bible. And the Bible says about Lucifer, you were anointed as a guardian cherub or angel. For I ordained you. I've done a little bit of study into this, this word guardian cherub or guardian angel. And what it actually means that in the throne room of God, Lucifer stood next to the throne of God with his angel covering the throne of God. He was more exalted. He was higher than any other created being in the entire universe. Now, we don't see this story. We don't hear this story much in the culture we belong to. But the fact is, it's here in the Bible. The Bible says about Lucifer, you were anointed as a guardian angel, for I ordained you, says God, you were on the holy mount of God. That means in the throne room of God, you walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Lucifer, this guardian angel, the head angel of all of heaven, was created perfect. His heart was perfect. His body, his wings, everything about him was perfect, the Bible says, until wickedness was found in him. What happened to Lucifer? Walking in heaven, serving God, more honoured than any other being. What happened? Well, you know, the Bible gives us a glimpse when it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, son of Jesus Christ. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you, now this was Lucifer's problem. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. You can imagine Lucifer saying this. I will exalt my throne above the stars, the angels of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation in the very throne of God. I don't know how it happened. I don't know what happened to Lucifer in his mind. 
But somehow, somewhere, he decided he wanted to be God. Now, before too many of you, and some of you may, write this off as just fiction, write this off as a fanciful story in the Bible, I want to tell you that I am a servant of the Most High God. And I could tell you stories, and you need to be at the next program where we talk about the rise and rise of the occult in Australian and Western culture. I have come into direct confrontation in my own life with Lucifer or and one of his demon angels. And you, a number of times, and you can sit in the church and you can listen to this and you can say it's fanciful, but I want to tell you I am a testament and I tell you the truth that I have confronted this being head on. I have seen him at work in people's lives. I have seen what he is doing. He is real. He is at work in the world today. And he was at one stage a marvellous, majestic, powerful angel who served God and he went astray. And I wish I could tell you more about how he went astray and what actually happened in heaven. But the Bible doesn't tell us all that much. It just gives us little windows into this story. What we do know at that Lucifer was... What we do know is that Lucifer was able to get about a third of the angels of heaven to go along with him in his rebellion. And I don't know how that happened. How could you be in the presence of God? I don't know how you could be in the presence of God and turn from God and follow a created angel. I don't know how that could happen, except I want to tell you today that God is in this world. God calls human beings and we, like the angels of heaven, still turn our backs and walk away from him. So what the angels in heaven did, we too do. Although you could say that many of us maybe have never experienced the presence of God in its reality like Lucifer did. Have a look at this, Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. Lucifer, Satan, his tail swept a third of the stars or the angels out of the sky and flung them to the earth. On the other side of this battle is Jesus Christ. And I, you know what? I could keep you here till 10 o'clock tonight talking about Jesus Christ. Now, I also have come into contact. I talk to and am talked to by Jesus Christ. I know he is real. I'm a testimony to it. I experience him every single day of my life. Just as Lucifer is real, so is Jesus. Very quickly, I just want to share with you very quickly who Jesus... just want to give you a little snapshot into who Jesus is. The Bible says that Jesus is the creator of the world. The Bible says that I believe it. I don't go along. And I say this respectfully. But I do not go along with evolution. I cannot accept that. I went and bought a, a new Honda Civic for my wife the other day. It did not evolve... It was made by the Honda factory in Japan. I've been to that factory. It was made and designed by human hands. And I can't believe that you and me and this world, which is far more complex in every way than my Honda Civic, I cannot accept, I do not believe for one minute that we are here by chance, by evolution, and I'm not 
in any way denigrating those who do believe in evolution. But to me, it just doesn't make sense. The Bible says Jesus was the creator of the world. Look, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things that are visible and invisible, that thrones, the powers, the rulers and the authorities in the world, even these were created by Jesus, for Jesus. He, Jesus, is before all things and Jesus holds all things together. You better believe it that the reason your heart beats and the reason the blood flows this afternoon through your veins, the reason you feel hunger and thirst, the reason you feel love, the reason you live is Jesus. And if Jesus were to die and that can't happen, but if he were to die, you would cease to exist immediately because there is no life for humanity. There is no life for this earth outside Jesus. One more thing I want to share about Jesus is very important. God the Father says to the Son, Jesus, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Jesus is God. And so on one side you have Lucifer, created angel, created by Jesus. He is huge, he is powerful, and he is beautiful, but in his heart burns the fires of rebellion. Rebellion against who? His creator, Jesus, the king of the universe, the creator of all the worlds, the creator of you and I, Jesus, the high God. Now, I don't know how it happened, but the Bible says war broke out in heaven. Michael, that's Jesus, and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that ancient serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Oh, how I wish this wasn't true. But the Bible says he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast with him. Revelation 12, 7 and 9. Go home and check the context for yourself. The story I'm telling you this morning, this afternoon, it's the truth. So you have two powerful beings, Satan on the left and Jesus on the right. And these two powerful beings in their armies went to war. Now, I've often wondered, what kind of war was it? I wish I could tell you. I noticed this week that, <coughs> excuse me, Israeli soldiers have forcibly been removing settlers from their homes. Have you seen that on television? Have you seen that? It's heart-wrenching, isn't it? As you watch these settlers, now I'm not saying they should be there, by the way, either. But it doesn't change the fact when you see people removed from their homes, it's heart-wrenching. But one of the positive things about what's going on in Israel right at the moment is as far as I know, no one has died as they have been removed. Am I right? And I don't know what sort of war it was they fought in heaven. Did they use lightsabers? Was, 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 was there a physical element to this? I don't know except to say just as the Israelite soldiers have been able to remove their people from Gaza by force without fatalities, so Jesus and his soldiers, his angels, were able to remove Satan and his angels by force without fatality. We know that because the Bible says they were cast to the earth. And it's these angels, these demon angels, that, that Satan himself, that I come to con in contact with on a regular basis in my work in bringing people like you to Jesus. It is real. 
Satan is out there. His angels exist. And just as Satan and his angels exist, you better believe it. So does God and his angels. There is darkness and there is light and the war continues. They may have been forced out of heaven, but the Bible says they came to earth. Jesus who is the creator, is more powerful than Lucifer, the created. And he threw him out of heaven. And the Bible says that when he threw him out of heaven, look at the underlining in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So what happens? Oh, I wish I didn't have to share this part with you. But now it impacts you. The Bible says in Genesis 3, now the serpent, that's, just, just follow this story. Serpent is Satan. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. This is the creation of the earth. God has just made our planet. And you get a feel, a sense, you know, I can't prove this, but you get a feel, you get a sense that the earth was God's crowning, it was Jesus' crowning act of creation. And Lucifer comes down here into the garden where Adam and Eve, our first parents, lived. And he came here for no other reason than to ask them to join the rebellion. So how did he do it? God sets up a test, simple test. You know, God's still testing us today. Do you want to follow me, says God? Then go through the test. Different tests for each of us. But he's still testing us today. Sets up a tree and he says, Eve... Don't eat of that tree. You eat of that tree, you'll die. Look what happens. Now the serpent, Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? He's insinuating. The woman said to the serpent, what on earth is a woman doing talking to the serpent? She should have known something was going, something was on right away. Why? Have you ever heard a snake talk? I can tell you now that the world Eve lived in is, 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 a, is a perfect world. It, it, it's the same world we live in, only perfect. And just as snakes don't talk now, or not that I've ever heard, I've had a few hiss at me, I've cracked a few on the head, I've had one chase me, but I've never heard a snake talk. And the snake's talking. Eve should have known straight away, but she talks to the snake. Look what she says. The woman said to the serpent, she's talking, she's dialoguing with the devil. Now look, listen to me. If you ever have a demon come to you, and you better come here next week because I'll tell you more about this. It's happening in our culture all the time. Sit on the end of your bed or try and make contact with you. Don't talk. I've heard pastors Talk about casting demons out of people. Oh, I've done it. It's a scary, a sobering thing to be confronted by a person with a demon inside of them. And I've had them talk to me, the pastors, about how they communicate with the demon and they talk. I never talk to the demon. I never talk to the devil. 
I see somebody who's devil possessed. I get on my knees and I pray to God for them that he'll remove that demon from their heart and their lives. Don't talk to darkness. Have nothing to do with one of the reasons, one of the things that pains me most in the culture and the society we live in today is the fact that movies like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings are bringing their cult straight into our culture, into our society, into the minds of our children. We've got children who think it's good to be witches and wizards and these things are nothing but servants of darkness in touch listen to me in touch with real real beings and it's madness and our society our television stations our radio so they don't know what they're doing when they're pushing people into harry potter or lord what's wrong with them i'll tell you what's wrong with them they don't believe in the real devil they've never been confronted with darkness like i have and they don't know the dangers of where they're pushing our children they know the dangers of what they're pushing our children into, communicating with the author of darkness. Oh, it makes me shudder. We go on. Eve says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it. Or Now look what God says. Look at this. This is crucial. What happens to you after you die? God says, Eve, you eat of that tree. He says, you will help me. Now listen, who said that? Who said that? Look at that text. God. God says in the Bible, if you're going to take the Bible as being the truth, he said, Eve, you eat of the tree. Now I'm going to say it again. I want you to get this into your head. He said, you will die. That's what God says. Let's look what the devil says. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Yeah, they they did know. When they ate, they found out what good and evil was, but they weren't like God. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye. The devil never comes to you as a two-horned beast. When he comes to you, it looks good. When he comes to you, it's pleasing for the eye. And the Bible says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now look at this. Satan says... If you sin, you will not die. Rebel against God, do what you want, you will not die. Jesus says, if you sin, you will die. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do we die or don't we die? I want to see hands. Do we die? Let's see. If you think we're all going to die eventually, put your hand up. What if you think, don't we die? So who's telling the truth, Satan or Jesus? First point. Jesus said, if you sin, if you rebel against me, Eve, if you disconnect yourself from me, you see, Jesus is the life force. Jesus said, don't do it. But if you disconnect yourself from me, you will die. You want to know something? You ever tried to run a car without a battery? Start your car and start running along the road and then take the battery terminals off. What happens? She's going to die because the battery is where the life for the car comes from. When you say, God, I don't need you, and we've got an entire society out there saying it. God, you've got no place in our culture. 
God, your laws don't count for us. God, we will do what we want. What we do is we disconnect ourselves from the battery, from the source of life. And when Eve ate that apple, she said, God, I don't need to take any notice of what you are doing. And the moment she ate that apple, she began to die. Tragedy of our life is when a little baby is born. From the moment it is born, it begins to what? It begins the process of death. I'm 41 years old, 42, unfortunately, next month. I used to win at college triathlons. I couldn't walk a triathlon now. Some will say, that's because you're not fit, Lord. There's a point to that. But I am in the process of dying. God said, separate yourself from me. You will die. Eve said, that's not so. Satan said, believe me, you won't die. Eve goes and eats the fruit. Guess what? We've been dying ever since. And billions and billions and billions of people have died because Eve did not first believe what Jesus said. Now, there's some serious ramifications here because the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. If we have all sinned and if we have all rebelled, then we are all going to die. And I want to tell you, this afternoon, as we go into the second part of this program, that there is going to come a day if things don't change, when you will die. I look forward to my Christmas holidays. Do you look forward to your holidays? Go away with the children, have fun on the beach. And every year, I look forward to that. There's something I... I attain to, and I sit here in August, and I want to tell you before I know it, I'll be on Christmas holidays, right? I'll tell you something else. Before I know it, I will be dying. Even if I live to an old man, before I know it, I'll be dying. My grandmother used to reminisce with me about when she was a young girl. She was 101, remember? And she says to me, I can remember when I was five or six years of age like it was yesterday. Life goes fast. And we, as I said at the beginning of this meeting, we all face death. And we face death because Adam and Eve, believe it or not, it's a truth. Our parents chose to disconnect themselves from Jesus the origin of all life. So what does the Bible says happens at death? This is important. First thing I want to do is I want to deal with you just for a few moments. I want to deal with what a soul is. I hear people say, oh, when I die, my body goes into the ground and my soul floats off up into heaven. I've been to funerals. I've had preachers, men of the word, get up the front and say, well, well George, someone or other is has died here today, don't feel sorry for him. Have you heard this? Because his body may be here, but his soul is where? In heaven. Now there's a problem. I want to show you what the problem is this afternoon. And this is where the rubber hits the road 
This is where some of you may be offended. This is where some of you may be challenged. Look at the word. Look at the Bible. Ask yourself, what is God, who said I would die in the first place, what is God saying to me this afternoon? Well, I want to share with you right from the beginning what a soul is. Would you like to see a picture of a soul? There she is. And isn't she beautiful? Does she look like her dad? Or does she look like a mum? I think the older she gets, the more she looks like a mum. You know, I'm in love with that girl there. I'm in love with three girls. Two daughters and a wife. That's one of them, my oldest daughter. Why do I say that or she is a soul? Well, look at the Bible. Look what the Bible says. Genesis 2 verse 7. This is the creation of man. And the Lord God, look at this very carefully. Form men of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. The dust, my body, plus the breath of life. You know, when a baby comes out, some of you, it's a beautiful thing, for the man anyway. And the doctor gives that baby a little shake. I've seen it, I saw it with Hannah. And she gives a gasp. <gasps> and she begins to breathe. It's the breath of life. And the body says, and the Bible says that your body and that breath of life, which is a gift from God, the Bible says that is what makes up a living soul. So if your body and the breath is a soul, the soul cannot have floated off up to heaven because the body, which is part of the soul, is still there in the casket. I've been to open casket funerals, and I know the body's there. Still in the casket. A soul is, is dust, that's this, plus breath equals a soul or a person. You can go through the entire Bible. You will never see the Bible say anything else but that truth. Now, I know this is challenging. What happens to the body at death? Well, you know. But the Bible tells us by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. I've never dug a grave up. I've never been around when they've got a backhoe in and exhumed a body. But I am told, and I've got no reason to believe otherwise, that a body as it decomposes turns into what? Dust. I'm told, and I've got no reason to believe otherwise, that chemically we're made up of the same chemical compositions as dust. So when we die, our body goes back to dust. What happens to the breath of life? You know, I, I, have you ever seen on the news somebody down at the ocean and, and they've drowned? The body is there. Have you ever seen that lying on the sand? On the TV, have you ever seen that? The body has a nose. It has ears and eyes. It has lungs that if the water is pumped out can still work. It has a heart. It has all the functioning organs that you need for life. But if the breath of life is gone, no matter what you do with that body, it will never live. Remember, the breath of life plus the body equals a soul. So what happens 
to the, to the breath of life, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7. And I want to tell you that this truth that we're looking at this afternoon makes some churches, some pastors like myself, feel so uncomfortable that they've even talked about taking the book of Ecclesiastes out of the biblical canon. They don't like it, but this is what the Bible says. The dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit, the breath of life, that's it, returns to God who gave it. There is, there is no consciousness in that breath. It's the gift of life, that spark that God gives you at birth that science today still does not understand. It returns, that gift of life, that breath returns to God. Well, let me ask you some basic questions that I think are worth looking at this afternoon. Can a person think after they die? Well, look at this, 146, Psalm 146, verse 3 and 4. Put not your trust in princes, nor in men in whom there is no help. His breath goes, <coughs> he returns to the earth in that very day his Thoughts, tell me, what do they do? Perish. There is no thought processes going on after death. Is a person, is a person, sorry, is a person conscious of anything after death? Remember, we're looking behind the dark door today. We're seeing what the Bible has to say about death. This is, this is a new message, an old ancient message, but a new message to our world. This is against what television, this is against what the books, this is against what the movies will tell you, but it's what the Bible says. And it's what Satan doesn't want you to know. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 and 6. For the living know that they shall die. I can look at each of you in the eye and you know you're going to die. But the dead know not anything. Look at it. Neither have any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, look at this. Their love, their hatred, their envy is now perished. Neither have they anything more a portion forever, anything in the, that is done under the sun. There is no consciousness from you after you die. And I want to tell you, and I'll go into this more next week, but if your grandmother, if your auntie, or your father or mother, and this happens to me when I do Bible studies with people all the time, who has passed on, who has died, all of a sudden turns up in your room at night and sits on the bottom of your bed. I was talking to a lady just a few months ago that this was happening too. You want to test whether that's your your grandfather or your grandmother or your mother or your lost auntie, then you say, in the name of Jesus, if you are not of him, be gone from this room. And I tell you what, it is not your grandfather, it is not your grandmother, it is not your auntie and it is not your long lost mother. It is another being, a dark being, which is helping to deceive the world. You come back here next week and I'll tell you more about that. So is a person conscious after they die? No. We'll go again. Does a person retain any knowledge after death? Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it for your might, for there is no work, there is no vice, device, there is no knowledge, no wisdom in the grave where you are going. 
You can't get clearer than that. Look, if I die and I love the Lord and I serve him and I go to heaven, then when I get to heaven, I want to praise God. So if you're still struggling with this, I'm going to ask the question, can the dead, after they die, praise God? Look what the Bible says. Very clear. Psalm 6 verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of you in the grave. Who will give you thanks? Who will give you praise? Psalm 115.17. The dead, how clear can the Bible be? The dead do not praise the Lord, nor anyone who goes down in silence. The Bible says that the dead do not think. The Bible says that the dead do not love. The Bible says the dead do not hate. They do not envy. They do not have any knowledge. They do not possess wisdom. The Bible says they do not worship God. I can't see how the Bible could be any clearer. And it is a mystery to me. I don't know why I've asked other pastors of other faiths and other religions, where do you get this idea from? Where do you get this concept from? And they stutter and they stammer. And if you come from another church, God bless you. We're glad to have you here. Go and ask your pastor. Confront him or her with these texts. See what they've got to say. I'm open, I'm very honest and transparent about this. The Bible says when you die, there is nothing, 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 nothing. Just like before you were born, there was nothing. So after you die, there is nothing. Remember, Jesus told Adam and Eve in the garden, if you sin, you will die. Lucifer told Adam and and Eve that it was okay to sin. They would not die. And I ask you this afternoon, who is telling the truth? Who's telling the truth? I've already said it. I don't know why. In all the churches of Christendom, you can go wherever you like. You can go Protestant, which... The Seventh-day Adventist church is a part of. Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Episcopalian, Anglican, same thing. Uniting. They're Pentecostal. They are all preaching that if you die, you go to either heaven or, or where? Hell. Where do they get it from? Because I want to tell you, And I'm not denigrating any of these brother and sister religions of ours because I'm sure they're all precious in the cause of Christ. But I want to tell you this afternoon that you will not find that story in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It is not there. You go outside of Christianity. You go to the the Muslim faith. You go to the Hindu or the Baha'i faith. They're all talking about life after death. It seems to me that Satan has been able to fool almost the entire world. Look, Jesus said, if you sin, if you rebel, you will what? You will die. Satan says, if you sin, if you rebel, you will not die. All of a sudden, Satan's confronted with billions of people dying. He's got to come up with another lie. He says, well, when you die, there's life immediately after death. And you've You've got the Christian religion saying it. You've got the Catholic Church, 1.2 billion people. The biggest Christian religion in the world preaching that when you die, you go to hell, you go to purgatory, which must be some in-between place, or you go to heaven. 
1.2 billion Christians plus believe that. You've got the Muslims. God bless them. We need to love these people, especially in Australia. I guess they're under some pressure in our country. Who believe that if you die loving God, you go to heaven. You've got the Baha'is who are saying when you die, you are or the Hindus, you are, are reincarnated into to something else. Now, God bless these people. I respect every one of them. They are precious children of God. But they have fallen into one of the most deadly errors the world has ever seen. And you come back next week and it becomes very clear why this is a deadly, deadly, deadly error. And this error... This concept that when you die, there's a life immediately after death is going to, and I, and I wish it wasn't the truth, but it's going to lead millions and millions of people to eternal death and to eternal separation from God because it's a deception. And next week I'll share with you how dangerous this deception is. As I said to you, if you die, and experience immediate life, then there is no reason. If I were to die as a pastor of this large church and my soul, let's go down the other road for a minute, floats off up into heaven, I'll be conscious, I'll be thinking, I'll be praising God. There is no reason why if this church faced a crisis, if I was alive in heaven and the Lord allowed it, there's no reason why if this church faced a crisis, I couldn't come back if God allowed it in human form and present the solution to this crisis that God had given me because I'm up in heaven in his throne. There's no reason why I couldn't come back and present the solution of that crisis if God allowed me from the front of the church. Is there? Is there? If, I, if my grandmother has gone to heaven and is watching me and God allows it, there is no reason... Why she can't come back and talk to me if I'm facing a crisis, if God will allow it. And that's why you have these seances and you have these programs on TV land you talked about, crossing over life after death, where people are talking with people who they think are their loved ones who have crossed over. But just as Jesus knows everything that goes on in your life, just as Jesus understands the nitty-gritty of who you are, so too does Satan, and it is our deception. And how dangerous that deception is, we'll see next week. Jesus knows, as I close, the truth about death. But I can't leave this presentation without leaving you with the fact, just briefly, of what happens. Death Remember that first verse we looked at? Jesus will destroy death. Look at this and we're going to go here further in this series as we go on. For the Lord, this is the Bible again, himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise. The Bible says Jesus is coming back to the earth. You better believe it. 
Stay with us, you'll learn more about wonderful truth. Jesus is coming back to the earth. The Bible says that, that the sky will be full of his angels, that Jesus will come back with power and glory. The Bible says in Revelation 1-7, every eye who is living will see Jesus. This is the end of the world. And as Jesus comes down, he who rose from the dead himself will send out the command. And the Bible says, if you have died loving Jesus, asleep in him, it could be Enoch, well Enoch, well that's another, it could be Abraham, who's been dead for thousands of years. It could be my grandmother who may be only dead for a few years. Doesn't matter how long you've been dead, the sleep is swift, the sleep is short. And when you hear the word of God, Jesus command, you will, the Bible said, burst out up from the grave. Oh, I love this truth. And the Bible says after that, after the dead who love Jesus are risen up, verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them, those who died in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with those words. My mother-in-law has lost two little babies. And when Jesus comes, those little babies will rise up from out of the ground. And this is very emotional for my mother-in-law and God will bring those two babies to her. I can't, I love my grandmother. Can you tell that? I can't wait to see her again, young, full of life, perfect, risen up from the dead, but not when she died. She rises up after she has slept and Jesus comes back again. And that is soon. And I'll prove that to you in the next couple of weeks. That is why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.55, we will cry out, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? I've been stung by death. And so are many of you. And I might face death yet, but I want to tell you if my day comes, I will face it with confidence because Jesus Christ lives in my heart. I believe, I believe what the Bible has to say. I believe that when you die, you go to sleep, that you know nothing. I believe what the Bible says when it says, if you love Jesus, he will come back again. And he will raise you up. He will raise me up from the dead to live forever. Death will be destroyed for those who love Jesus. And I long for that day. And I pray that you long for it too. And it can be your experience. It is a simple thing. It's not a matter of becoming a Seventh-day Adventist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian. It's a matter of getting on your knees. It's a simple thing. And saying, Jesus... I believe, come into my heart this afternoon. I want to give you a chance to do that. I want to just invite you to bow your heads. And if this is your prayer in your mind, you see, Jesus reads minds. He made your mind. I want you to pray after me. Dear Lord, Jesus, I believe. Come into my heart. Remember me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, next week, very important topic. We're going to talk about bewitched or the rise and rise of the occult in the Western world. My voice 
God willing, be a little better than it was today. And I can tell you that as you go through this series, as we open the Bible, that you will see things that God is telling you that you never knew were there. Very interesting subject. I want to invite you back next week. Thank you for coming. Have a very good Saturday afternoon.